Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. I think for the principles for peace, it's telling people Yes, security is such a large component of the discussion about peace. Uh, the principle of making security accountable means that this is an area that you claim you do not just wait for others to define or to say this is how you are going to be secure. You are going to have to be part of that discussion. Salam, dear listeners! Welcome to another episode of She Talks Peace. I am Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from Manila. And here's my co-host. Hi, everybody! Hi, Amina! This is Ayesa Abubakar, and I'm based here at Al-Bukhari International University in Kadah, Malaysia. Hey, Welcome Ayesa. to She Talks Peace! Welcome to She Talks Peace! So what's up in Kedah? Yes, anything new with you? Oh well, so far it's really more of admin work and a lot of teaching, preparing for exams, writing uh, exam scripts. <laughs> are you are you a terror teacher? Yes, huh? are you known as a terror teacher? Are you the nurturing kind? What kind of a teacher are you? Yes, huh? I don't think I'm a terror teacher, <laughs> but well, I try to be. Actually, yes, you don't uh, look it. You look like a student leader. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how your students look at you yeah. because you look you look so young. You look like you're the same age. <laughs> how do you manage to, you know, establish your authority in your class? You have no gray hair. You have no wrinkles. I do. I do. <laughs> well, during exams, believe it or not, Amina, I act like a policewoman. 
in the examination really? hall. <laughs> really? Because uh, to keep up discipline, I make sure that they listen to me, to my voice only, and that they don't look at each other's papers. So I, I behave like a policewoman or even worse. Yeah. Anyway, Amina. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sir. Yeah. I wanted to um, ask you, you know, uh, what has been, you know, the activities in Manila these days when you talk about peace building? Because I know some of you and many other friends in Manila are always busy with more peace work, despite of the, you know, developments in the peace process. I always, you know, uh, miss Manila and, and Mindanao for all these exciting activities and peace building. Well, I'm glad you asked because remember, Ayesa, on the January 21st, the Bangsamoro Autonomous Regional Government and the Parliament, they passed that law establishing the Bangsamoro Foundation Day, and it's going to be on January oh, okay. 21st. And wow, that's timing, good. Yeah, and perfect timing last week, January 10 and 11. There was a recommitment event for the principles mm-hmm. for peace. I don't know if you joined in Davao last year, but this initiative really took off last year. I mean, they, they, they okay. it's Geneva based and they've been uh, okay. organizing consultations to look into how do you support uh, peace agreements, right? How do you get the whole of society to come in and make sure that once you have a, a peace agreement, it sticks. So in Davao last year, last July actually, they had the launch of the Principles mm-hmm. for Peace Initiative. And according to the group, it seeks to set a new mechanism, standards and metrics. And this is the first time I'm really hearing the word standards and metrics to support and sustain efforts for a long-lasting peace in Mindanao. And yes, the, the P4P, the principles, include dignity, solidarity, humility, embracing legitimacy, accountable security, integrated and hybrid solutions. I kind of like that, hybrid solutions. Adapting subsidiarity and promoting pluralism. It's unfortunate that you weren't in uh, Davao that time because the chair of this organization, the Principles for Peace, Bert Conders, I think that's how you pronounce his name, is the former, former minister for foreign trade and development cooperation of the Netherlands. And he chairs the Principles for Peace Foundation. He came to Davao City for oh, the okay. Yeah. All the way, yeah. All the way, and he he said that the principles can catalyze better decision making and guide joint actions in achieving lasting peace, but he emphasized that they must be put into practice. And last July, they invited IQ, Mohagar Iqbal, who was the chair of the Moro Islamic Liberation Front's Peace Implementing Panel, and is currently the Bangsamoro Minister for Education. He was also at the recommitment event. And last July, IQ, the, dear listeners, that's how we call um, 
Mahagar Iqbal. <laughs> call him IQ. IQ. <laughs> yes. Very high IQ, both intellectually and IQ as well. But he said the principles provided a framework for building a just and lasting peace. However, he did stress Ayesa that while no one can argue against the importance of these values, these values are frames and ideals. So again, this uh, focus on what should be implementable, right? So last week, Mm -hmm. January 10 and 11, the organizers brought together representatives of all sectors, including the huge economic organization, the MAP. And uh, the chair of the MAP went and committed himself to supporting the principles for peace. And he happened to be uh, René Almendras, who used to be executive secretary under the administration of the late former president, Noy Noy Aquino, right, Ayesa? And um, I'm very sure, Ayesa, that the reason why the principles for peace is taking this, you know, track of making sure uh, the frameworks are practical, that there can be standards and metrics, is because our friend Ayesa is part of the governing board of the principles for peace foundation. So this sounds like it could actually go somewhere, don't you think, Ayesa? I think it's perfect, Amina, that, you know, the principles of this P4P is bringing it all the way to Philippines. It's it's such a perfect arrangement. At the same time, we are so lucky that it will continue the support to our peace processes in the Philippines. So nothing's going to stop us on this road of peace building in the Philippines. And as you mentioned, our uh, colleague at the ASEAN Women Peace Registry Ging Deles is one of the board members of these Principles for Peace. So let us now introduce, you know, a little bit about our um, guest speaker today because I'm sure many of our viewers know her, you know, very well because she, this is not the first time that she's guesting here. But of course, she's also very famous because, you know, as a, the, lo- the only secretary for the peace process, you know, for quite some time, who has really led to a success, the peace agreement between the government of the Philippines and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, among many of our other achievements. So maybe I can also say that uh, Ging actually, you know, started off, you know, as an academic, you know, teaching about human rights and peace studies before she joined the government. So that is how she became more motivated to be part of the peace process later on. Not only with the MILF peace process, but she was also leading, you know, towards the last stages of the peace process also with the Moro National Liberation Front. And as I mentioned, under her leadership, the Philippines has become the first country in the Asia-Pacific to adopt and implement the National Action Plan on UNHCR 1325, or what we know uh, as WPS Agenda. So again, let us welcome back our good friend, Ging. Welcome to She Talks Peace. Welcome back, Ging. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dan. 
Uh, yes, I and I were were just chatting earlier about the principles for peace recommitment event that happened uh-huh. um, January 10 and 11. But maybe because uh-huh. I yes, I wasn't with us in Davao and she wasn't of course with us in Hayat. Maybe you'd like uh-huh. to tell our audience what is the principles for peace and why do you think it's a it's a practical framework that can really support the foundations for peace? Uh, so the Principles for Peace uh, is a product of an international initiative to try to work out a new paradigm in the face of the reality that it seems uh, the approaches to peacemaking have not been working because by the 1990s it was already being seen that the recurring violence not the tensions the wars that had been put under peace processes and where agreements had in fact been made were overall breaking down the they say uh, from the studies that the record is like seven years after seven years there's likelihood to be broken down that peace agreements are not being implemented and that we see right now today for example that over 50 active armed conflicts all over the world so the initiative brought people who had been working on this and saying we have to find another way of doing this and it became a product of two years of very intensive study looking at all of the lessons learned that had come out, doing consultations all over, 61 countries were touched, over 100 peace organizations in what is called the stakeholders platform. So that in 2023, in January, completing the two years that the Commission was, and the International Commission on Inclusive Peace was mandated to do its work. In January, it uh, launched uh, the Principles for Peace, where the commission decided, um, let's not just do a usual report. No? So the, the form, in fact, was a covenant. It's a peacemaking covenant, meaning to say that it didn't want the product of all of that work to be put into a report that goes into a filing cabinet or is brought out just for conferences, but that it becomes a product where people will commit to do something right. to really bring peace. And the principles for peace are eight principles based on the studies, based on the shifts that had to be made on, on how peace was being made. So it's eight principles and it's proposing this. We need to look at this. We need to look at these uh, principles that they're at work in our peacemaking processes. So that we're not just the basic thing was as, as my colleague from Canada, General Delaire keeps on saying, it seems that the world has been what, what has been happening. People move from truce to truce, but never get to peace. So so what's the peace that we really want? So those are the eight principles that are now being pushed politically, diplomatically among the uh, decision makers on the world stage, but also on the ground, trying to see, can this really make sense? Will they really be helpful on the ground for people who need the peace most bad? What humility got to do with it? Humility is, there are three foundational principles. No? Yeah, they're, they're looked at as the foundation. That's dignity. You have the respect for the dignity of every party, that the respect for dignity of everyone who comes to the table of every people that's involved here. So it's dignity, humility, 
that one must come knowing that one one never has all the answers because in a way that's how it's been on the fact you think of course one has to be it has to have humility here but the reality is in the past years like people come set up a table and it's like there's a formula you yes. uh, we will do it yes. we will do it uh, they come in parachute right. in uh, choose who will who choose who will be the people who sit around the table largely ignore other people who don't speak the language of diplomacy who are in the remote areas who are suffering most so humility is uh, is seen as a very basic foundation principle and the th- the third one in in this cluster of principles is solidarity mm-hmm. uh that one has to work one has to see this as well you can say team effort it has to be always in solidarity with others yes yeah. yes uh dignity i could i could understand humility and mm-hmm. yes i rather puzzled me here <laughs> that's why i'm asking to to clarify what has humility got to do with it yes i think that should be the most difficult uh, principle <laughs> yeah for many actors uh-huh. humility ryan reynolds here from mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Yeah, parang mis parang peacemaking had become the domain of um people in high places with with uh power, international power so that they can compel or ask people to bring they can do sanctions and and forget who really ma- who matters here, who are the ones who are most suffering on the ground who have to be heard, what are the voices that need to be heard and will always need to pinpoint as women peacemakers the very dominant triumphalist male voice that has dominated mm-hmm. the stage of peacemaking has um excluded mm-hmm. excluded so many that have ideas have a more full understanding of what uh, conflict or peace means on the ground for for uh, lives that really matter and the many excluded mm-hmm. the many who have been excluded from decision making Dean, I wanted to ask you about this accountable security because this principle uh-huh. somehow reminds me of this responsibility to protect approach that has also been uh, very much promoted R2P. And yet, you know, it, it's interesting that especially in the case of Myanmar, you know, our friends, our peace activist friends in Myanmar were really trying to make use of R2P, but then it's not getting them anywhere even as close to asean so 
how about this accountable security? How are we going uh-huh. to promote accountable security to all governments and non-state armed groups as well? Yeah, well, so the first one is to have people in authority accept that they have to be accountable. They have to be accountable to someone. And it's an understanding that people who, everyone is saying, we are here to secure you. But those people who are being secured, in fact, have no way, are not even asked what does security mean for you? What, what, what makes you insecure? No, uh, it's like there's already a, um, a whole architecture of security that can just be brought down. Uh, when the reality is that uh, security comes from the sense of to say what they're feeling, what they're, um, what they're, what is, what is making them insecure. Um, and know that when my security is threatened, I can go to someone who will be accountable to me. So it, it's a whole discussion that needs to happen. Uh, in the security, in the security sector, among those who uh, wear the uniform and um, are, in fact, authorized by the states uh, to be the ones to to carry the weapons. How often? How often have we had to say now that the one that threatened them were were the ones who were supposed to protect them? You know, it's like the it's like the uniformed forces. Uh, are there to protect those who are in power instead of those who are, those in power are supposed to serve? It's like the, the system is there to serve, um, to serve those who bear the arms, etc. So it will have to be work in progress. You know, how exactly that it will mean, what exactly that will mean. Uh, but I think for the principles for peace, it's telling people, Yes, security is such a large component of the discussion about peace. Uh, the principle of making security accountable means that this is an area that you claim you do not just wait for others to define or to say this is how you are going to be secure. You are going to have to be part of that discussion. During, during the recommitment event, you had um, the Chief of Staff of the Armed Forces of the Philippines, uh, General Romy Browner. Browner. And yes. you had uh, Mohagar Iqbal, Vice Chair of the Modern mm-hmm. Islamic Liberation Front. Did mm-hmm. he make any commitments, um, especially in this in this principle for accountable security? Well, yes. In fact, General Browner did the press release on, on a statement and has been pushing it out. We had told him he could, in fact, speak in, in the beginning. He, he did, but I think he had second thoughts. And I, and I think it's a good sign that because the PAPRU, uh, the presidential advisor on the, on peace, reconciliation and unity was speaking already on behalf of government that he should be the one to speak. I, I say it, I think it's a good sign. It, it is part of the accountability. That even though they are the ones who hold the arms, they're the ones who are supposed to know how security works. Uh, to say that we will submit to the civilian political leadership. It is a, a peace agreement that was signed under the authority of the president, therefore binding all of government and that whatever the PAPU, which is a civilian agency, or whatever the OPAPRI will commit to on behalf, uh, directly answering to the president, 
is something that will bind him. Is something that will bind him as well. As for Minister Iqbal, it was, um, I think, very um, significant in his message that, in fact, he said that those who fought are already old, <laughs> tired of the fighting, wanting to make a yep. new way, a new life uh, for their people, and is therefore committed to that uh, decommissioning, mm-hmm. of which, of course, we know that decommissioning is always the most difficult, yeah. uh, it's the most difficult part. Uh, when when um, you actually have to say, okay, uh, political power has been transferred, it's time to make sure that the weapons are no are beyond yeah. use, are put beyond use. But, um, but on that um, thing, um, DILG, the local government secretary Ben Hur Abalos, they had the ceremony re- integrating. Or was it 260 mm, thereabouts yeah, uh, yeah. ex-combatants in the um, in the police? This mm-hmm. is something that you had signed mm-hmm. off on when you were peace advisor. But Ging, I was just wondering how the security establishment really think about that. I mean, I'm sure some of them are still worried about it. Yeah. In fact, for the uh, peace process between government and MILF. So much confidence building between the armed components of the two parties has been going on because the joint ceasefire mechanism said already put or was already based on a lot of trust being built between the forces. The fact that they had monitoring teams in areas that were remote, the marshlands, for example, of, um, of Maguindanao. The, the the mechanisms that they included at one point, the practice where government soldiers and MILF combatants lived together, lived together, so that when anything would happen, they would be there already on the ground. They would travel when there was um when there was a call somewhere, they would travel together. And one of the soldiers, I remember telling me then. Uh, secretary, we would be in the, in the vehicle, we would sometimes fall asleep on each other's shoulder. He says, you know, um, how vulnerable yeah. uh, could, could, else could you be to That's each right. other? So in fact, in the peace process between government and the MILF, the armed forces, I really felt at that time, and I'm feeling it now again, that they, the armed forces had really come on board on this. I think they had seen the, re, the two things, two things. They had seen on the ground that the war could not be ended uh, militarily because they were saying every time, every time there was an episode, there was a, a clash for every mujahideen that killed or felled, Ten more would rise. They said this is a war. The 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 call for the self determination. In fact, at po- at one point, secession mm-hmm. was so embedded in communities that you could not kill it. Uh, you could not kill it militarily. Yeah. So they they said, yeah, some other way to go. And secondly, uh, they told me, you know, the ceasefire because the first in the in the in the first instance the. The ceasefire mechanisms were not so strong. It was like, um, yeah, it's there. Uh, ceasefire heads were not given very much power or attention. 
but it, they began to become more and more important because they said it's the communities that asked us, asked us to please work on the ceasefire and make it work. These were communities that were suffering. Every you will remember, um, Amina and Ayesa, how for a time it, the 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 violence would recur every right. three years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the planting, the schooling interrupted every three years. Uh, needing to hide, need you know, uh, not being able to to go and properly feed your children. They said it was the communities that were telling us we want a ceasefire. And in the armed forces, it became more and more important so that after a while, among the soldiers, it shifted from the uh, body count as the basis of promotions mm-hmm. to yeah. the ceasefire. Mm-hmm. If, if, you, if you played a role in the ceasefire, you were able to resolve an outbreak of violence. That is the one that put God into your record and helped you to get promoted. Again, so that's why um, there's so, this focus on standards and metrics. That's right. Because the standard yes. and the metrics yes. you use will influence the outcome. It has been changed I now. I yes. hear it. I hear it. I yes. Hear it. Yes. <laughs> yes. But Ging, how else is P4P going to engage BARM, you know, knowing now uh, what that situation now that MILF is part of BARM, you know, how else is P4P planning to really make use of BARM as as the the peace process as a very good um, case study for P4P? Is there a plan that P4P will continue to have like an organized uh, program with uh, this peace process? You know, what is the vision like? The first step is to make the P4P a platform again for constituencies to emerge and look at the process. Because, you know, what happens when a peace agreement is signed is very often, unless there's somebody who's been reminding them all of this time, the usual thinking is that um, it's done. There's already an agreement. There's relative peace. We haven't had an outbreak. And people stop paying attention. Yeah. Um, so the first thing that P4T did was with the launch was to bring people together again and say, Hey, uh, it's not done. <laughs> it's not done. In fact, the transition period had to be extended. And people have to understand again what's happening so that they can talk to the parties. They can put pressure or use whatever persuasion to continue to go the parties to, to complete the pledges, to complete the pledges. Because this is, this is the, this is the lesson from the long history. If you leave the combatants just to themselves, they will always just look at their own interest and it is so easy to walk away from pledges if there's nobody reminding them it, it is so easy to forget what one promised for one we know that security forces are, are are transient in a particular place we know that every so many years the leadership changes uh the commander-in-chief changes the chief of staff changes 
the continuing memory acknowledgement and memory that there are things we promise that has not been done that tends to uh, be forgotten because both government and the MILF will have other challenges, uh, will have other interests. It's the constituency is important, but the community remembers the commu and the community remembers the promise that this peace agreement was supposed to make a difference in their lives. But the but the two parties will pay attention to what's politically being pushed on them. If there's no constituency that says this is important, then it's so easy to move on to other things. And then the communities again are left and saying, hey, we had an agreement and it didn't bring about the promises. And maybe we need to take up our, um, you know, we have to find our own ways to secure ourselves all over again. And the guns are still there. The The commissioning has not been completed. The push to make people see that problems will continue. But what we have to look, we have to understand what we want is that while problems will continue and conflicts will probably continue, guns are not going to be the way to resolve them. It is going to be not be the default. The default is going to be to find ways to talk of talking about it, having solidarity in looking for the solutions, and yeah, talking as people who have other means of resolving conflicts, not just physical strength. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This P4P game is being promoted all over the world uh, in, in many countries, right? But besides Philippines, are there any uh, particular country where it is also uh, vigorously uh, being implemented? Actually, right now, the Philippines is the most advanced okay. in terms of having taken it up and having a community uh, stakeholders saying, um, this, this, is, this is important, it has been helpful. But there's also a, a um, um, I think, Sudan in, um, in, in, the, in Africa, and uh, they're also looking at uh, still the learning and the discussion with the, with the people in Colombia. The hope is to have at least three. We don't want to call it pilot because eh, it's not piloting. It's really okay. trying to see a real process on the ground. Will it be helped by having a, a lens, a lens that people use in common? This is the important thing as what is always being said, uh, that in, in the important agenda that the world has worked on, a common standard is adopted, no? There's a common lexicon even. And and the model that's always being used is humanitarian work. No? That people there's a there's a convention on humanitarian work. People have accepted the standard. It's not always being followed. It's violated, but people know. People know it's violated. That hasn't been the case 
in the peace arena as a hiba, my, our executive director keeps on saying, it's like the Wild West in terms of peace. There's no common understanding. So one of the most uh, encouraging that things that happened in July when we launched the P4P here was people starting to to use a common lexicon. When people say principles for peace, people begin to understand what that means. When uh, Minister Iqbal said dignity is still the uh, fundamental thing for us, it, it comes within a whole context. You have CSOs now saying, yes, we want to understand what pluralism means. It's one of the principles, legitimacy, the search. We're, we're, we now look at, we're now looking at the process and beginning to start to use the same lens. So one, it's an agreement that we have again to be visible as a constituency, no? Talk again about it. Uh, let the bishops speak again. So, so they said bishops Olama conference. They will, uh, they will revive so many mechanisms that they died. Business, a uh, business is saying yes. Let's begin together uh, to to come together and talk. So, a constituency to having a common lens this time, and a lens not just to how do you solve this particular problem, and you you know you just solve it one at a time, but have trying to develop a lens that holds us for a long term, for a long term, um, uh, and uh, brings us to that point where we can say, yes, the elements of peace beyond the peace agreement are there. And then because we more people are engaged in the conversation and looking and trying to understand what's happening there. So it's a common understanding of, okay, what seems to be the issues that are on stalemate or what seems to be the issues that it looks like that's not the way we should be going. People begin to have a common understanding. Who would be good to get on board here to act on this? And people will find different ways. I think the, uh, the people, uh, the constituencies will not always be advertising everything that they say. Will not be always. Some, some of the, some of the discussions may have to be in closed doors, <laughs> behind closed doors. But you have more people working on it. That, that's what we want to happen. And so P, P4P, um, the thing that it's introducing is a, a regular feedback loop. So periodically people come together, uh, have a common, um, have an, a common understanding of the baseline, what things need to be moved. And then four or six months later, coming again and looking at the metrics and growing in its understanding, growing in the analysis, growing in having a consensus on what things to do, what needs to be whispered, maybe by different people to different uh, uh, actors or players. But coming together and saying, okay, we were able to move this or this is where we're still having a problem here. And a community that now says, we don't leave it. We don't leave it to the, to the ones who signed the agreement, uh, to complete it. This has to be ours. I'm really, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that, um, there is this focus on, uh, standards and metrics because without that, Who's to say that the commitments yes. of the warring groups yes. are holding? So I'm I'm glad that this is uh, that this has been launched. 
Philippines um, last July, and that there are more players actually that uh, mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. at the commitment event that yes. were in yeah. uh, in Davao. And I was just thinking that uh, since this is really focused first on the Bangsamoro and the peace processes that we have uh, resulting in the Bangsamoro, considering that next week, January 21, we'll be celebrating the Bangsamoro Foundation Day mm-hmm. in celebration no, I think, no, of the, the signing. the plebiscite, uh, uh, the yeah. passage of the plebiscite. Yeah, the plan uh-huh. Yeah, the approval. I was just, I was just wondering whether you have a message for the Bangsamoro yes. leadership. Iqbal was there. Minister IQ was there. But you know, there are other leaders of the Moro Islamic Liberation Front who may still be a little uncertain mm-hmm. about their role in uh, in government. So perhaps you have a a message for them, Jing? Mm-hmm. I think a message is that, you know, the signing of the peace agreement, the CAB, in 2016, which makes 10 years, in 2014 rather, uh, the signing in, in March 2014, which makes 10 years this March. But at the signing, it, it, it provided such a momentum of light and hope not for us, but for many troubled areas in, in the world. It is still seen because it took on so many lessons from our past experience with these processes and, and also worldwide. It is still seen as, um, as embodying so, so much good practice. But we know that the signing of agreement, that's one challenge. The bigger challenge is always implementing it and that the MILF, as part of that agreement, we had said should lead in the implementation in terms of um, the creation of a new enhanced um, autonomy. It is it is both what challenge, responsibility, and and privilege to be part of that and show show to our people, show to the Bangsamoro, show to the nation. Uh, show to the world uh, that peace can and will happen. To be for so, so it's really a call for the leadership of the Bangsamoro, and we mean the MILF. We mean the ones who hold local government power now. We mean all of the civil society actors who help to push the peace process to continue to take their part very seriously, to make what was a dream that became more real with the agreement become truly real where peace dividends are now felt on the ground. I guess that's my my last message that always we don't forget, as it was when we were negotiating, that the ones that this is for most importantly are the communities that have most suffered from war who have to feel the benefits, who have to feel the benefits. That's what they want. They don't, they don't want that. Uh, it's just a political leadership or the military leadership that benefited from this, but that they're, it really made the difference in their lives. And especially for the next generation, the children, the children who now, they, they're always saying, 
uh, one of the happy things, our children's schooling has not been interrupted for 10 years. For 10 years. The fields have been planted and have been grown and cultivated for 10 years without the scare of the big wars. There are still many conflicts. In fact, armed conflict, uh, violence is still there, but not on the scale that it ever was before. My message to everyone is let's make sure. Let's make sure we see this through. We should see it this through to the completion of the implementation of the CAB. Because there are so many problems, so many problems the planet will continue to face. Environmental challenges, the disasters, the uh, disinformation and all of that. We have to be able to pay attention to this. Let's not burden it by having an agreement that was not completed and where people will continue to say we had so much hope but now it is dashed and we no longer know where to go. Thank you so much. I think that's a good you know, explanation about this new uh, movement uh, of uh, Principles for Peace. And I'm sure many of our listeners are also very interested now. And I'm sure they will be able to, you know, uh, look up online, you know, if maybe they would also want to, to volunteer as practitioners of Principles for Peace. So to all our listeners and viewers, I'd also like to invite you that you can actually send us a message in our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can follow us at she Talks Peace and email us at SheTalksPeace at gmail.com if you have any suggested topics that you'd like us to discuss on our next show. So Amina, we have a very exciting episode again with the Ging. It's always a pleasure because uh, she is so rich in a lot of all these experience and ideas. And there's no stopping Ging. She's not retiring anytime. <laughs> Just like you, oh, no. so much work has been done. You know, after the signing of the peace agreement, I really have to salute both of you that you have, you know, you have all these energies continuing this path towards peace building and peacemaking. Thank you so much, Ging. Amina. Thanks, Ging. Ayesa, you and I, we continue to move because being, you know, Ging is in front, breaking the wind. <laughs> so if Ging had not been in front, I don't think you and I could have done as much as, uh, as we have. So dear listeners, thank you so much for yeah. joining us today and listening to former peace advisor Teresita Quintos Deles. Ging, not Mam Ging, just uh, Ging. <laughs> Thank you, Ging, and dear listeners. This is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now. Bye, everybody. Bye, Ging. Thank you, Ging. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. 
Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.